Thank you, Pastor Mark. Uh, I don't know about you, but this morning I was feeling it. I was feeling the spirit in this church. Amen? Amen. I sense the presence of God and just blessing us and helping us to worship him and just give him honor and glory. He deserves our praise. Amen? Yeah. I can't believe it's already end of February and tomorrow is going to be March 1st. My wife reminded me that. I can't believe it. It's just going so fast. But I'm excited because it's end of February. That means beginning of March, we're going to start a brand new series. And I'm excited to sh- uh, teach this series about who are we? As followers of Christ, who are we? And so next week, uh, first week, I'm going to kick it off by saying that we are a children of God. That's who we are. Second week, I'll talk about we are citizens of heaven. Though we may be citizens here on earth, but do you know we have a dual citizenship? Amen? Because, again, this is a temporary citizenship. We're just passing through. That's what Scripture teaches us. Amen? But our real citizenship, our real destiny, the place that we will end up when this life is over, that we will spend rest of eternity in the kingdom of heaven because we hold the passport of kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. And if you don't have a passport to the kingdom of heaven, then you need to come and talk to me afterwards or Pastor Mark or Elder Doug. Amen? Because if you don't have a passport to kingdom of heaven, you ain't getting in there. Amen? So that's what we're going to talk about third week. And the, uh, excuse me, second week. And the third week, and this is what I love. It says, we're going to talk about we are Christ's ambassadors. You know, people who work for the ambassador in the government and they walk around with their, you know, shoulder up high and they say, I'm ambassador of this, I'm ambassador of this. To me, it doesn't matter because you're ambassador of a small country, but I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Amen? And that's something that we should be boastful about. So fourth and last, we're going to talk about we are the bride of Christ. So those are the four things that we're going to talk about explaining who are we. And I want to encourage you, to invite your family, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your coworkers, whoever maybe, even invite the person that you're standing behind the grocery line or at a fast food restaurant or a store that when you're at McDonald's or something, hey, you know what? Our church, our pastor, he's going to talk about who are we. If you're struggling with your identity, come in here. Come and bless, you know, invite them. Don't be shy about inviting them, okay, because Christ gave you the boldness, Amen. So that's what we're going to talk about, and uh, today we'll talk about live by faith, live by faith, and then we'll pray, and then we'll go into uh, the message as the Lord anoints this message. Father, we come to you, uh, I'm up here not because of I have something important to say or because I have an opinion of something, but I'm up here because of your grace. I'm up here because I'm your messenger. I'm here because I'm your servant. And I'm up here to teach your word and your word only. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you will fill me, anoint me, so that I may preach and proclaim your word and your word only. And that you will be honored and you be blessed and you be glorified through the message. So bless it, Lord. Father, now may the meditation of my heart and the words that are spoken through this servant may be pleasing to you. In the holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Imagine you are a professional athlete and you play football for the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears, (laughs) all right? And the great Walter Payton was watching you. I don't know about you, but I had the privilege of watching Walter Payton Payton play. We call him the sweetness, right? Is that right? Right? 
And that man could run. <laughs> and he was athletic. But imagine that you play for Chicago uh, 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 Bears and you have the great Walter Payton watching you play. Or you are a baseball player for the Chicago Cubs. Hopefully they will do well this year, okay? It's, it's around the corner. And you have the great Ernie Banks watching you play. How will that make you feel? Third, what about if you are a basketball player and you have, uh, and you play for the Chicago Bulls, right? And you have the great Michael Jordan watching you play, right? Jordan, I know we got some LeBron fans, but no, we're a Jordan fan, amen? <laughs> but imagine what would do that to your game. The point that I'm making is that whatever sports that you're playing, and if you have these great heroes or legends who are in the Hall of Fame watching you play, what would that do to your game? It would make you a little bit nervous at first that you have this Hall of Famer watching you play. But more importantly, it would elevate your game, would it not? It would take you to the next level because you know what? You have a great Michael Jordan. You have the great Walter Payton. You have the great Ernie Bakes watching you play. You say, man, I need to step up. I need to step up and play. Now, let me take that to our spiritual level. Now, you know where I'm coming at, right? You know where I'm going at. If we have the spiritual giants such as great saints, men and women of faith that is watching over us as we live our spiritual lives, as we live our Christian faith, as we live as disciples of Christ. If we have these great men and women, spiritual saints watching us, what would that do for our own spiritual lives? How will we live? Now, we may think that nobody's watching in our homes. We may think that nobody's watching when we're inside of our car, driving. We may think nobody's watching when we're doing the grocery shopping. We may be not be thinking that, well, I'm watching this movie, nobody's watching me because I'm all alone in my apartment or in my room watching this movie. Or I'm, in, I'm, I'm sitting on my desk, I'm searching on the internet, no one's behind me, overlooking over my shoulder so I can look at some sites, I can see some movies, or I could act the way way I act, or I could say the, this, this thing, and I could lose my temper in Chicago traffic because nobody's in the car with me. But I beg to differ. Somebody's watching. And that will help us to think twice how we act in our car, how we act behind the, someone who's uh, standing before us in the grocery line, or that when we are waiting for an order, that we placed an order at a restaurant or fast food, whatever it may be, or whether we may be in a gym that nobody's watching and I'm looking around, or whether we're watching certain type of movies that we should not be watching, or that we're not lying, that we're on a website, that we should not be on the website because we feel like nobody's watching, but someone is watching. Amen? What would do that do for your spiritual life? What would that do for your personal choices, the decisions that you, say, that, that you make? What would it do, what, the, the type of words that you ought to say that comes out of your mouth? What would that do? How would we live? And that's the question that I want you to think about in your mind. How would that make me feel and how would that help me to live? Well, our text this morning is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And the author of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote this. Some scholars said perhaps Paul, but there's not enough evidence or style of his writing that would define or determine that he is the author. No, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. But the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 answers that question for us. If we have great saints 
that have gone up before us, watching over us, how would we live? Would that make a difference? Well, today is going to make a difference for you and me because we're going to know that how we ought to live. The author paints a great picture of godly men and women of faith who have gone before us or before them at the time of Hebrew and now are watching over us, cheering us on from heaven. The author does to, to motivate and to encourage the little church struggling and persevering in their faith. The question that I have to ask is, Uptown Baptist Church, are we struggling in perseverance in our faith? Are we struggling with our faith? Are we struggling with our prayer life? Are we struggling fixing our eyes upon Jesus, as TK reminded us this morning? Are we struggling? And as if we are struggling, that we, this text is for us. It needs to encourage us. It needs to motivate us. It needs to challenge us to persevere in our faith. And if we are persevering, we cannot stand still. We need to develop and we need to grow even more. We cannot be satisfied where we're at in our faith. Amen? We're called to grow continuously. Again, what we talked about last week, the goal is teleos, right? To grow to maturity. I don't want to hear from Jesus and say, Nick, when are you going to grow up? I mean, I'm sure any, none of you want to hear that either. Saying, when are you going to grow up? Remember the Pharisees, right? I mean, excuse me. Remember what Jesus says to the 12 disciples after spending three and a half years sleeping with them, teaching them and everything, and Jesus all kept on, was getting frustrated. He said, when are you going to learn? You know, haven't I not taught you better than that? You know? And I'm sure all of us don't want to hear that, but rather we want to hear that we are persevering in our faith. Amen? And for us, that is a great challenge for us too, to move to the next level of our spiritual journey. Are you satisfied with your spiritual journey today? No. We want to move to the next level. I don't know, some of you, these days there's no more manuals, right? The manual meaning there's a, a stick. And usually there's a five gears, right? You press the clutch with your left foot, and then you move, you shift to the first gear, press, back, back to press, release it, press the second clutch, and you go to second gear, third gear, fourth gear, fifth gear. That's called manual. Uh, it's called stick shift. Okay, but a lot of Christians today, they're still stuck in their second gear. They need to move on to the fifth gear, but a lot of them are stuck in the second gear. And Uptown Baptist Church, I don't want to be stuck in second gear, amen? Every day I want to shift higher and higher and higher so that I can get closer to our Lord Jesus Christ, amen? And that's what we're being called by and challenged by the author of Hebrews, to persevere, to move forward. And that's why the author begins in verse 1. Therefore, now you know when an author starts with therefore, you know something is coming, right? You English majors? He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud. Now, the Greek word for cloud is nephos, okay? Meaning a mass of clouds multitude so what the author is saying is that you have a, a, a massive cloud a massive multitude that represents the saints watching over you not just one saint not just Moses but you have the Abraham you have the Moses you have the Elijah you have the Isaiah you have, you know, all these saints. You have Timothy, you have Paul, you know, you have Peter, you have James, John, and I can go on and on and on. You have these great saints watching over us. Brothers and sisters, the very essence of our faith is that we have a great heroes who died because of their faith, watching over us. The question that I have to ask for all of us, how can we 
not strive to, for greatness when we have heroes of faith watching over us. How can we not strive for greatness when we have such great men and women watching over us? How can we be lazy and lukewarm and stagnant? So the author today is saying to us, listen, church, you are surrounded by a great multitude of godly men and women of faith watching you. He's saying you're being watched, so get your act together. Therefore, the author says, get rid of anything that hinders you from growing from your faith. Is there anything that's hindering you from growing your faith? He says, get rid of it. Notice he says, in, uh, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders. You see, the idea is radically stripping away anything that hinders our faith. The Greek word for hinders is onkos, meaning a bulk, a burden weight. If you're in a sinking ship or sinking boat, and Pastor Mark, I know he loves to fish, and I know I'm waiting for him to invite me to take me out to fishing. And I'm sure we go on a boat, a little boat. But imagine if we're on that little boat, and then, the, you know, there's a hole in the boat, and there's water coming up. What are we going to do? We're going to start throwing off all the unnecessary things. Pastor Mark might look at me and says, Pastor Nick, you need to go. <laughs> you know? But you all know what I'm talking about. If you're in a sinking boat or if, the, if you're in an airplane, you've seen movies, right? When, when you need to, uh, you know, lighten the load because so that the, the airplane could still fly or the boat can stay float, you need to lighten the load. And again, that's the image of the author is pay, uh, portraying here. He's like, you have this burden weight that you need anything that is hindering you from growing, floating, and flying. Anything hinders, then you need to strip away those burden weight, heavy weight. In other words, burden weight. And the question is, what could be those burden weights? What are they? It could be a friendship. It could be an association to something. It could be an event a place, a habit, a pleasure, and entertainment, even an honor. Now, those are good things. But if those good things drag you down or hinders you in any way, the author says you must strip it away. Get rid of it. For me in the past, when I was in a seminary, I tried to develop a relationship with this one uh, guy, you know, one, a good, a, try to friend him because he did not know Christ. And he was very negative all the time, very critical. He had the critical spirit. How many of you know that people that has a critical spirit, right? When you need to pray for that person, all right? Negative, always down, criticizing, and he's a he had this pessimistic attitude and just like, you know, just saying me, 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 playing the victim all the time. And I tried to minister to him and I tried to, you know, help him out. But it just, finally the Lord said, you know what? This relationship is not healthy. And you need to dust off your shoulders, dust off your sandals, and walk away. Didn't Jesus say that? Right? If they don't accept your teaching, if they don't welcome you, dust, dust off your sandals, dust, off, dust it off, and just walk away. How many of you have friendships like that? Perhaps the Lord is saying, if it's not healthy, and if that is a, a burden weight, and if that is hindering you from moving forward to, to developing your faith, to growing your faith, then perhaps you need to dust it off. How many of you have, have habits we're all creatures of habits, aren't we not? How many of have, have habits that is hindering us from growing our faith, that we need to dust off, strip it away? You need to think about that. How many of have habits just sitting down in front of a couch, looking at a computer and, 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 or a TV show and eating potato chips? You know? 
How many of you have that kind of habit that you need to say, hey, potato chips, I rebuke you. You're out. You're out from me, all right? For refrigerator, in the name of Jesus, you're done. And you go outside and, and go for a run. Or you go to the gym and run for that treadmill. You know? Those are bad habits. We have to be good stewards of our body because what? We are temple of God. Amen? It's all about perseverance. So again, those things, although they are maybe good, but it can be negative on our spiritual lives, and we need to strip it away. We need to get rid of it. He says, but the author does not stop there besides stripping it away. He says this, I'm not finished, the author says, and the sin that so easily entangles, right? He's talking about the sin that we repeat over and over and over again. I remember I had an accountability group during my seminary years, two of my good friends, and we would meet every Thursday for coffee. We would have a big pot because our, that time was repenting of our sins towards one another. And we had a lot of repentings to do. So we had a big pot, put it in the middle of our table, and we just start sharing. And it got to a point where each of us, we were so embarrassed because we kept on repeat, repeating the same thing over and over again. The same sin over and over again. And we finally got to a point where it says, you know what? This ain't helping, just repenting. So if, if Nick, you sin, then me and the other guy, we're going to have to fast the next day. You know, so we gave that kind of accountability. So we didn't, we didn't want to feel each other bad and say, okay, he has to fast because I sinned again. But that didn't really help. But you know what I'm talking about. There's a sin that, that is, again, that easily entangles us over and over again. Sin in Greek literally means missing the bark, missing the target. And the reason why we continue to miss the target that God has set is because we get entangled by the sin over and over again. Um, last month, a couple of months ago, I went to my mom and they need, to va they need a vacuuming in their hallway. So I took out the vacuum and I, I was uh, vacuuming the one area, but as you know, the cord was not long enough. So I, I couldn't reach to the upstairs. So I had to go look for an extension cord. Right here. So I plugged in the extension cord to the loudest and the other end to the vacuum. But the problem is, the extension cord was all tangled up. So what happened? Even though I plugged it, it wouldn't go because it's all tangled up. And so what I had to do, I had to unplug it, and I had to untangle it, right, so that it would be straight, so that when I plug it, then it can reach, so that the extension cord became effective versus ineffective. Now let me bring, drive that to our own lives. If we don't strip away the sin, if we keep on missing the mark that God has set for us, and if it is tangling us, we cannot move forward in our faith. We cannot grow to the next level. If some of us are stuck in our Christian life, it's because the sin has entangled you and you cannot move forward. And that is what the author is saying. Untangle it. Strip away that anything that is hindering you. And stop sinning. Because if you continue to stay in this entanglement, you ain't going nowhere. And you're stuck on that second gear. You see? And that is why author is so strong and so bold and says, untangle the sin that is easily trapping you. So the author says, get rid of the sin. So the question is, what is that sin? Let me give you some examples of what that sin can be that is easily entangling us. It could be jealousy. 
Do you have a spirit of jealousy or envy? It could be self-centeredness. You're so self-consumed for yourself and self-centered that you can't even see if someone is hurting. You can't even see if someone is hungry. You can't even see if someone is needed a clothes or, or, clo- uh, or a coat over their back or a ride because we're so self-centered. It can be envy. It can be critical spirit as I talk about. It could be laziness. It could be hatred. It could be lust. Lust of the things of this world. Unthankfulness. Or it could be pride. Now these are some normal, natural, human tendencies. But God sees it as sin. Amen? And we need to get rid of it. We need to get rid of it, especially if we have great saints watching over us. And I can only imagine if I'm sinning, the saint like Moses would be looking down and said, Nick, 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 are you doing that again? You know? Or, or, or John, 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 are you doing that again? You know? We need to strip away the sins. We will never run the race well without doing it. We have to consciously get rid of it, all the sins that hinders us daily. It only takes one sin. It only takes one sin. If you sin once, you are a sinner. Okay? It doesn't matter if you sin 100 times, 200 times, or one time. If you sin once, you're a sinner. You know, and that makes you guilty. And that's why we need the love of Jesus. And that's why Paul says, whoa, who can save me from this wretched man that I am? Remember the Apostle Paul, the great hero. He said that, but he says, thanks be to God that he saves me. That's why he's our Savior. And that is why, that's the gospel. That is why you and I need to communicate and to share the gospel that people need to hear that. You know, number one, they did a survey. Number one hindrance of people coming closer to the Lord is guilt. Is guilt. And the devil, he can milk that, Right? And that's when we have to look to Jesus, like Paul did. Who will shave me from this wretched, you know, and then he said, thanks be to God. So as we strip away, we must do one thing, and that is run the, faith, run the race of faith. Run the race of faith. I know probably this fall, they're going to, I don't know if they're going to have the Chicago Marathon again. They're running, right? Running for what? Honor. Running for the prize? What does Paul say? Do not run for the prize that are what these early people were trying to get, get or, or, or bragging rights, but run for the faith. That's what Paul encourages us. Notice in the latter part of verse 1, he says, and let us run with what? Perseverance. Can you say that? There's other translators, uh, translations like uh, ESV or or. Uh, other translations that would say endurance. That's more the literal translation from the Greek. Endurance. Run with endurance. Steadfastness. Do you, that is race that is marked out for us. We all have a specific road map or road or course that is laid out for us by God for us to run. You know? Each course is unique. For the runner. For example, all of us are called to run, but your course to run is different from mine. And my course to run is different from yours. But regardless of what courses that we run, the the, the uniqueness of the course, we are called to run. And that to run with faith and perseverance and endurance and steadfastness. You know what steadfastness means in biblical terminology? 
fix in the direction of God. You see? Fix in the direction of God. And the question that I have to ask you is that, yes, you are running, but are you running in the direction of God? Or are you running somewhere else? You know? Each course is unique and is marked by God. All of us can finish the race well if we rely on who? On him. All of us can finish well well if we receive the strength from who? Who is our guide? No matter how difficult the course is, we will be unshakable. Because we live by what? Faith. With endurance, perseverance, and steadfastness. John, John Kelvin, one of the uh, key scholars, one of the scholars that I respect, John Kelvin, one of his key points is perseverance of the saints. We ought to persevere. And Pastor Mark reminded us about perseverance of prayer. And two prayers have been answered powerfully this week. The only way that we can strip away sin or hindrances and running with perseverance is to focus on who? Jesus. Jesus. I remember many years ago, maybe about 20 years ago, my cousin has a sailboat. And uh, it's, a, it's a cousin... Uh, due to marriage, and uh, he invited my me and my my sister and and his brother, and so so we all went out. So you could imagine in Lake Michigan. So you could imagine I was super excited. Yeah, I'm going on a sailboat. You know, I'd never been on a sailboat before, but I'm going on a nice sailboat. So I was all excited. The night before, I couldn't really sleep because I was all excited and looking forward to it. So it was a beautiful day. It had a nice wind, and so the waves were pretty strong because, again, you need a nice wind to push the sailboat. So I was excited. So I got in there, and as soon as I got in there, I feel this, you know, sailboat, you know, going rocking a little bit. I'm like, oh, boy. But it's going to be all right. I'm with family and friends. It's going to be fun. And so as soon as we started sailing, and then again, the sailboat started going doing this because of the waves. I'm like, oh, boy. You know? And so we're going, and we're going, and we're going, and all of a sudden, I don't feel so good in my stomach. You know? I'm feeling that nausea, right? And you know what that called, right? Seasick. And so my, bro, uh, my cousin is looking at me and said, man, Nick, you don't look too good. And thanks, I don't need to hear that. And he says this, this will help you. Take your eyes off of the water or any surrounding. Shift your focus, shift your eyes to the near shore. You look at the near shore. That will help you with seasick. And as I took the advice and I stopped looking down at the water or just kind of around my surrounding, and I looked, I focused, redirected the focus and shifted my focus and looked at the seashore. And, she, and then, lo and behold, it started getting better. You see? That's what it means. What he says in, notice in verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The Greek word fixing in Greek literally means to turn the eyes away from other things and fix them on something else. So for us, as followers of Christ, we shift our eyes from the worldly things and we shift our eyes and turn our eyes and fix it to Jesus Christ. Amen? And then TK did a, one, a fantastic job of just leading us and singing us, turn your eyes 
upon Jesus. I'm done, okay? <laughs> that's teaching. But you know what I mean? Now that song is going to be in our minds this week. When you get tempted by something, when, or when something is trying to drive your patience, or someone is irritating you, or someone has showed up that you cannot love that person, but God sent that person that is unlovable because you, he wants to teach to love that person. And God is going to give you a circumstance this week to teach you patience. And that's when you shift your focus from that circumstance that is driving you crazy and fix it upon Jesus. Amen? Churn your eyes unto Jesus. Therefore, we must turn our eyes away from the other things and fix them on Jesus. The question that I have for all of us is this. What, are the, what is your focus today? Are you thinking about end of this service? There are some chores that I'm going to have to do at home. Are you thinking about end of this service? I'm going to stop by the grocery store and go to the grocery stop, a shop. Are you thinking about end of this, after the service, I'm going to go home and do Netflix? What are you thinking? What are your focus? Or for students, Pastor Nick, you need to hurry up because I got a paper to write. Or for single young adults, you might say, Pastor Nick, hurry up because I got a date tonight and I got to shave, I got to shampoo, and I got to clean myself up. What is your focus today? Is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? And why are we ought to focus on Jesus? Because the author says he is what? The pioneer of our faith. The pioneer means person who is originator or founder of a movement and continues as a leader. Jesus is the founder and he created a movement called Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a movement. And the disciples 2,000 years ago passed the baton to us as Uptown Baptist Church. We need to continue that movement and not let it phase out. And that's why Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Because why? The church is a movement of God. Amen? And we need to grow spiritually. We need to grow numerically. The reason why we need to grow numerically is because we need to share the gospel with the people that are lost. Amen? Amen. And that is why we need to grow spiritually. We need to grow numerically. Brothers and sisters, when this pandemic is over, I want these pew seats to be filled up because you do your responsibility by sharing the gospel and inviting the people to the church of God. Amen? I want the gymnasium to be filled up. I want the basement to be filled up with people that you have reached out to share the gospel. Amen? That's what we're called to do. It is a movement of God. Jesus is also the perfecter of faith. Specifically refers to the one bringing the life, life of faith to its complete conclusion. Jesus is, uh, showed how it should be done in his earthly life. He lived the faith. He taught us how to live the faith. Receiving it perfectly, obeying the Father's will. It was his perfect faith in God that empowered him to go through the mocking, rejection, abandonment, and crucifixion. Now, if Jesus could endure the cross... The cross that represents the criminal. The cross that uh, represents shame and defeat. If he could endure that, how much more can we endure simple trials and tribulations that we go through? Now, I don't want to downplay your trials, nor mine. But they're given. But they're also given with that trials and tribulations. It's Jesus. That's why he's called the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. F.F. F. Bruce, a New Testament scholar, writes, had he, meaning Christ, 
come down by some great gesture of supernatural power, he would never have been hailed as the perfect of faith. Nor would he have left any practical example for others to follow. In short, Jesus led the way by an example that we need to follow. Our Lord Jesus did something amazing, and that is his attitude of joy. In the midst of abandonment, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of humiliation, he had joy. Look what he says in the middle part of verse 2. For the joy, or the Greek word literal translation is delight. Listen. He had joy and delight set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. The physical pain was great, but his spirit or soul was even greater. Why? Because, again, he was pure. He had no sin. But when he went to the cross, he took your sin and he took my sin. So imagine the weight of burden. Imagine the pain of sin in him. He never experienced that before. But he did it for you and for me. If Jesus endured that, can we not endure some tribulations? Can we not endure some trials for his sake? For his sake. How can we not endure the circumstances that we go through? And why do, I, why do we find ourselves complaining about them? When we ought to be Joyful, as Christ was joyful. But the question is, how can Jesus have this joy when he knows the cross and shame is in front of him? It is because the joy set before him. Meaning, after the shame and the cross, he will be exalted to his glory and he will be seated at the next to the Father in the Holy Throne. In latter part of verse 2, that's what it says, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, that was Jesus' vision that he will be in glory. Yes, you are experiencing, yes, we are experiencing tribulations and trials and sufferings and difficult times in our lives. But our vision is to be in the glory one day. Amen. And that should give us the joy. That should give us the perseverance because today will not last forever. Tomorrow is coming, right? And tomorrow is a brand new day. And one day that we will be in glory with him. And so as Paul will challenge us, all the circumstances, the difficult circumstances, all the trials and tribulations that we go through, that is just a temporary thing because one day that we will be in glory. And that is the reason that we have joy. Amen? What are some examples of Jesus' joy? The joy of being with his Father again. The joy of being crowned with glory and honor. The joy of being many sons and daughters to, to glory in his kingdom. I don't know about you, but that's awesome that I am part of his joy. Amen? That you are his part of his delight. Now, the author caps his challenge to finish well by saying this in verse 3. Consider him, meaning Jesus, who endures such opposition from sinners. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The, the phrase, grow and weary and lose heart, was a term used in sports in the ancient world for runners who were so exhausted that they collapse. Now, have you seen marathon runners? Or have you seen runners in the Olympics? That they, are, they run and they give all they got and they finish the uh, uh, finish line and they just collapse. They're just exhausted. And that's the imagery that the author is writing here about the imagery of grow and weary. So, so he's challenging us for us Christians running in faith 
for us to avoid that spiritual collapse, how we support, uh, avoid that is that we must consider Jesus. If we don't consider Jesus, then we're going to collapse spiritually. In other words, to ponder upon Jesus, to think about him, who endured the opposition from religious leaders of his day. We are, remember, we are to remember Jesus' confidence and meekness and steel-like strength when he faced his enemies. And Jesus gives us that same power that he had when he was faced with opposition. And that is why if we look to, if we consider Jesus and look to him and fix our eyes upon him, we will avoid spiritual collapse. There is great wisdom in this text. We must turn away from the things that distract us. What are the things that is distracting you today? What are the things, and, and focus on Jesus. And be totally, I love this part, absorbed in him. But brothers and sisters, there's a problem today. Because I see many people, including Christians, absorb in their work. Absorb in their hobbies. Absorb in other areas than Christ. The Christ is sometimes the third, the fourth, or even the last. Instead of being the first. And the author of Hebrews saw that. And that is why he says, consider him. Fix your eyes upon him. Focus on him. Be absorbed in him. And not anything else. I know someone that loves golf. And that person thinks about golf every day. And whenever he goes on vacation, he takes his golf clubs. Because he wants to play. Why? Because the golf has absorbed him. Imagine, loved ones, if you are absorbed by Christ. Imagine that when you're driving, you are so absorbed in Christ that even though someone cut you off and your immediate inclination is to say, how could you, you know? By the way, a side story. Talking about golf, I was meeting a friend to play golf uh, over the summer. I was driving and I was at 94. And I was driving, you know, I was driving on my road, and I was on my lane, and all of a sudden, this car just, zoom, comes and cuts me off, and it almost hit my car. And my median human tendency is like, oh, you know, it's percolating here, you know. But I kept my calm. I said, just do what you got to do, man. You know, and, and then, God is good. You know why I say this? State trooper comes. Tell a true story. State trooper comes, starts ringing his lights, and pulls that guy over. And who gets the last laugh? God is good. Amen? Remember, God is watching. God is watching. I kept my cool. I kept my calm. See, remember what God says, right? Don't take revenge. I will take it on you, right? We let it go. We let it go. That's why we consider him. Amen? But the problem is, again, many people are absorbed on the things of this world rather than Christ. So I want to challenge you and me today. Be absorbed in Christ. Amen? Amen. We, as a church, should not water down the gospel in any way. We certainly do not want to water down our commitment to Christ as a church. And we want to deepen our knowledge of the word. And so I would challenge you, study the Bible, study the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you study the gospels, then you'll be absorbed in Christ. And that as we study the gospel during the week, as we study the word, then as we come together on Sundays like this, then our worship will be Christocentric. Giving the worship to our Jesus Christ. Amen? That he will be the center of our worship. So I'm looking forward to, I'm, I'm excited about today, but I'm looking forward to next Sunday, that when we come together and we lift up our hands on high and give glory and praise and magnify his glorious name. Amen? Amen. 
give me a tad witness here. You know? Now, as believers, as we are to face, run the race, we have great cloud of witnesses watching over us who have gone before us. And they're watching us and they're cheering us on and saying, you can do it, Uptown Baptist Church. I'm praying for you. I'm cheering you on. So picture that in your mind. So in closing, there are four things we must do for us to finish well. You can see it behind me. The first one is we must strip ourselves from all hindrances and sins. What are some hindrances? What are some sins that you need to strip away as you are peeling away like a tangerine or orange? Or as you're peeling away the banana? What are some sins that you need to peel away and throw it away? Second, we must run with great perseverance. I call it grit. These days that word is popular in the modern world. Grit. All right? Run with grit. The race that is marked out individually and corporately as a church. We do it together. Amen? Thirdly, we must focus on Jesus as the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Fourth and last but not least, we must consider Jesus and how he lived, especially when he faced difficult times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you received glory and honor as this servant proclaimed and taught your word this morning. And that you were pleased. And I pray that the words that are spoken this morning, that we as a church embrace it and apply it in our lives. Thank you. All the glory to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.